Abner Moraes is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Moraes, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. He's being, you know, he's a husband and a girl dad. I'm a husband and a girl dad, so I can relate in that aspect to his life and the situation that he's in and how much, you know, that means to him. It certainly means a lot to me, and there's there's nothing better than being a girl dad and just his American dream, um, you know, me serving in the military and getting to meet people from all different walks of life who have felt strongly about the American dream as well is, is really cool. So I'm excited to, to check it out. You can listen to On the Hook with Abner Moraes wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish will be out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down Khalil Mack. Oh, here comes Bullshit. Griffin without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne, and this is presented by Blue Wire. So what's up, everybody? Um, I'm excited to do this again. Uh, I've been extremely busy with film work and just really studying as much tape as I can uh, around the league for offensive and defensive line. I just wanted to kind of update everybody on what I've seen this season so it's kind of like another film session if you will uh, and we're just going to get right into it and I'm just going to talk about you know kind of storylines that are going on uh, players that have most impressed me some players that have disappointed me and kind of what I'm looking for in week seven so you know the first thing that I wanted to touch on since it's pretty pertinent right now with everything that's going on is the Miami Dolphins uh, offensive line situation. There's been a lot of talk about that, you know, on Twitter and and uh, people, you know, of course, Dolphin fans are, you know, overrating the unit. Um, I think they're conflating the idea that because the offensive line is better, that they're all of a sudden good. And I think those two things are, are very different. And it's, it's an important distinction because, you know, I think that you have to factor in what they were last year and uh, Miami, the, the offensive and defensive lines there last year were literally the worst in the league, and there was really no question about it. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that some of that was done on purpose, you know, by the front office. You know, that's kind of the NFL's way of tanking, I think, is, you know, tanking isn't necessarily done by uh, coaches and players. It's really, you know, from the top down by management. And, you know, it's just limiting the resources and the tools that a coach has at his disposal. And then, you know, therefore it's kind of, you know, results in a lot of losses. And they did a very nice job of setting them up for that last year, obviously. And it really started, I think, with the offensive line. I mean, it was it was clearly the worst in the league. Um, 
so this year, you know, they're they're like a bottom five or six unit in the league, uh, in my opinion. You know, I, heading into week six, I had them ranked uh, 30th overall, um, you know, in the NFL, just in front of the Bengals and the Jets. Um, so they're, you know, they're one of the worst in the league down there with you know, the Washington, you know, the Chargers, because Tri Turner and Belaga are out, Dallas, uh, you know, Arizona, Minnesota, teams like this, you know, uh, I don't know if I said Washington, but those those, those sorts of teams there, uh, the Giants, um, are, you know, really like the bottom 10 or so in the league, and the Dolphins are on the bottom of that. Now, it's important to point out that this year, I mean, for me, I've watched more Miami Dolphins offensive line at this point in the season than I did in the last couple of years, really, because I'm I'm a huge fan of Solomon Kinley. I mean, he's a clearly limited, uh, you know, guy athletically, but his competitive toughness is elite, and it's a lot of fun to watch when a guy can step in right away and win in the way he's, ways he does with physicality aggressiveness and I think he has good power as well so those traits is really what he leans on and he's going to be a limited player I think uh, you know in his career in, in some respects you know when he gets out in space um, you know against any sort of elite speed rushing type of player or rusher uh, elite level competition if he's isolated against those kind of guys you know he just has physical limitations to his game that are going to pop up more, you know, the more snaps he gets against the more levels of competition. But I think he has clear, clear things that he can hang his hat on and, you know, probably play for a while. So I like Kinley and then Robert Hunt at right tackle. That rookie duo on the right side is very intriguing to me. Austin Jackson is intriguing as well. Granted, he's hurt right now and he, he was pretty up and down before that, but Definitely some flashes there of some things you like to see from him as well. So they have some pieces now that all of a sudden make them interesting and against bad competition, which is what they faced up until this point. You know, when you look at their game so far through six weeks, for the most part, they faced below average defensive lines at best. Uh, certainly no elite pass rushers, really. Uh, so we're even very good guys. Uh, so, you know, they'll see some here, you know, coming out of the bye week, obviously they have the Rams, not a great defensive line, but of course Aaron Donald's there. So he's a terrible matchup for Eric Flowers and Solomon Kinley. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that, but, you know, they're going to see the Chiefs and the Chargers this year as well. So I think in the next, you know, five or so weeks, we're going to really see some of their uh, deficiencies show up and that'll kind of bring the perception I think back to earth a little bit but you know to me they're in you know an intriguing unit and uh you know certainly much more so than the Bengals and the Jets uh at this point you know without Mekhi Becton especially I like Jonah Williams but that's about it there in Cincinnati so that's kind of my take on the Dolphins I think they're trending in the right direction but still a long way to go uh but the youth there is is certainly uh, promising I think so uh, moving on here to some other kind of situations around the league that I you know find really interesting. Quentin Spain just got released by the Bills in a very surprising move. Uh, I thought what he looked like in 2019 was better than what than both Cody Ford and Brian Winters have looked this year. So 
you know, I think there's more there behind the scenes. I read an article on The Athletic about him and it seemed like he was just unhappy that he didn't win the job outright um, and, may, you know, maintain his status as the starter. He started the first couple weeks of the year and then just all of a sudden just, you know, kind of fell out of the lineup. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit more there uh, behind the scenes. That it's, in, it's interesting. I mean, he just signed a new deal as well in the offseason. So I think he can come in right away and help a lot of teams uh, at left guard. So, you know, I think the Bears certainly jump out with James Daniels being hurt. That would be a nice fit there, I think. Uh, I'm a big fan of Spain. I think he's underrated. I think he's an average to above average starter. So somebody that you could certainly win with. And uh, he has some clear strengths as well. So I, I've i been a big fan of him for, you know, four or five years at this point. And, um, yeah, he, he's a guy who can help some teams. So I don't expect him to be on the market for very long as of this recording on Thursday night. He is, Excuse me, Wednesday night he is. So we'll see about that. That's kind of a in, you know intriguing guy out there on the market all of a sudden. Um, but I wanted to, to move on to a couple other uh, – situations and you know just players that have really caught my eye over the last week I mean I think we have to talk a little bit here about Laramie Tunsil and just what he's done with the Texans um, he's playing the best football of his career right now I think he's clearly a top five tackle in the league I mean coming into the year I had him and Stanley at like five and six uh, in my left tackle tiers so uh, I think he's certainly eclipsed that at this point. Um, I don't like to necessarily move guys around in tiers until after 17 weeks of football, uh, so I won't do that uh, necessarily. You know, not make like a formal kind of you know distinction of that, if you will. But uh, I certainly think he's playing like one of the three or four best left tackles that I've seen on tape this season. Uh, so. You know, the thing about his game that's always stood out to me since his rookie year, uh, well, second year after he played left guard his rookie year, is his ability to stay square to the line of scrimmage uh, due to the amount of discipline that he plays with is really, I think, where it starts for him. You know, there's, there's such a huge emphasis in the offensive line community for tackles, especially when they're in their pass set to stay square to the line of scrimmage, to keep their hips square to the line of scrimmage as long as possible so to prevent a two-way go and a soft inside shoulder because if offensive linemen open up that outside hip prematurely, it creates that opening to the inside and it really puts them in a compromising position so the longer a guy can stay square while he's moving backwards at an angle, um, it really kind of limits what the pass rusher can do and the avenues that he can take, um, you know, in, in terms of how he attacks the, the blocker. So he's very, very good at, at staying square for, his, you know, a very long time right, compared to the other guys that I watch. So that's really where it starts for me with him. And then he's very good with his hands. He just plays within himself. He's always under control. I think he's very balanced. Um, and yeah, he, he's just a lot of fun to watch in pass protection and run blocking. You know, that's why I don't say that he's clearly the best left tackle in the league. Cause I think Tron Armstead's a much better run blocker than him. Um, I mean, not that he's bad at all. I mean, I think Larry Tunsil's an above average run blocker, um, and maybe even very good, you know, in some respects, but, 
Uh, he's not elite in that area, but in pass protection, I think he's he's pretty much there at this point. I, I want to see him against more competition this year. Um, you know, I think this season he he's seen some good rushers, um, but I, you know, I, I just want to see him against you know a higher variety of guys. I mean, you look. I'm looking at his schedule right now, and he, he really hasn't faced any elite pass rushers this year. And I think that's important context. I mean, he, you know, they played the Chiefs, um, you know, they played the Vikings, Yannick Ngakwe. He, I don't know, he still, he started really slow this season. Granted, that was week four, uh, you know, but he shut him down. So not going to take really anything away from Tunsil there, but I don't consider Ngakwe a lead anyway. He, he's a, you know, very good guy when he's at his peak, which he hasn't necessarily been yet this season. He's had a couple kind of flashes of that in some games here recently. But, um, you know, Harold Landry's not elite. Um, nobody in Jacksonville's elite. Uh, you know, he's facing the rookie from LSU. They're pretty much Clayson the whole game. You know, they played the Steelers, but Bud Dupree, he's good, but, you know, not elite. So, you know, I'm looking at their schedule, too, the rest of the year. I think we're going to really probably learn the most in a few weeks when they play the Browns and he gets to go against Miles Garrett. And, and then when they play the Bears later in the year, he's probably going to get to see Khalil Mack. And he'll see Justin Houston a couple times still, who's not elite, but still can give some elite guys trouble. So, you know, I, I think Tunsil's certainly in consideration to be considered elite, but very important context in terms of level of competition for him. He hasn't really had to go against anybody very good or elite this season. So we'll see. I mean, Frank Clark uh, is is probably the closest. And even him, I mean, Frank Clark's been a little up and down the last couple of years. He, he isn't quite that supercharged kind of guy that we saw uh, at the end of his tenure there in Seattle and even at, you know at different points later in the year last season. So I don't know what's what's going on there. I mean, Frank Clark still has flashes of elite. You know, his get-off, uh, I think, is still really close to being elite. But he's a little more up and down lately since he came to the Chiefs. So, you know, uh, just you know, kind of parsing through it a little bit there and just providing some context on Tunsil. But, I, you know, I think he's excellent. I watch him every week and, uh, haven't, uh, you know, I won't miss a snap of his this season. So I'll definitely, you know, kind of be paying really close attention to him. But, you know, credit to him for shutting down the guys that he's gone against. You know, that's all you can really ask for. Um, so that that's a guy I definitely needed to, I think, mention there. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you a full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out for a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. So one thing I'm excited to watch for this season is all the football that is on early on in the day, since that's the time of day that I really get to watch football on Sunday. I know some people aren't very happy with that, and they want it more split up for later afternoon games, but I'm... It suits my schedule, and I'm excited for the fact that I get to watch so many games early on in the day. And Pepsi, of course, is a refreshment you need to power you through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Uh, Man, what an impressive game in Week 6 from 49ers right guard Daniel Brunskill, who has been... You're struggling this year a little bit. That whole right side has really. Um, but, you know, the, the game plan last week certainly helped McGlinchey, I think. And obviously facing Leonard Floyd uh, helps a lot of guys. Uh, you know, just, just being honest there. Uh, they don't really have any outside pass rushers that scare anybody. So that's kind of a good game for a guy like McGlinchey who's been struggling to bounce back. But Brunskill, man, I mean, he did outstanding against Aaron Donald that's as good as a game that I've ever seen a guard have against Aaron Donald uh I think about uh, Tooney and Mason in the Super Bowl uh when they faced off against the Patriots they they looked really good against Donald and had some really nice reps one-on-one versus him but I'd put Brunskill's up there certainly in the top three or four performances I've seen from a guard against Aaron Donald uh, Zach Martin's had a couple, or just certainly one very good performance against him a couple years ago. Uh, I think it was, uh, maybe it was last year, last year or the year before, 18 or 19. But yeah, I mean, Brunskill looked really good. So we'll see if he can build on that now. That'll be intriguing to watch because if that right side can start playing a little bit better, this offense can really start clicking, I think. Um, Kittle, of course, I uh, posted a clip of him. Uh, pancaking Michael Brockers off of a combo uh, block. You know, he got a little help there, but uh, he still finished it and, and, you know, created really good leverage on him and put him on his back, basically. I mean, incredible for a tight end to do that against a guy like Michael Brockers. So that's what I kind of saw in the 49er game. Um, I wanted to touch on that Browns and Steelers game uh, as well real quick. Uh, I thought Judge Wills looked pretty good in that game. He got beat, I think, twice that I saw from Dupree 
but overall, I mean, he, he looked good. Uh, still, you know, he has these flashes every game that are really, really special. Um, you know, that look like elite level stuff. So, granted, they're still flashes, and he has, you know, still some, you know, he's going to get things ironed out as far as his set points uh, as a pass protector. There's a couple times when he sets a little short on guys and stops his feet, and guys are able to kind of, you know, turn the corner on him and get late pressure near the top of the quarterback's drop and that's just something that he's you know going to clean up I'm sure um, and just get a little bit more uh, adept at finishing at the top of the arc I think that that's something that I've seen from tape on him that he can fix uh, or improve upon but I mean as a rookie man I mean it's been very impressive what I've seen from him his explosiveness out of his stance and his ability to switch up his sets and switch up his hands is, is very impressive uh, so that's really cool to see from him. Um, now, obviously, the Steelers' uh, defensive line in that game was incredible. They are the best defensive line in the NFL. They're the only defensive line in the NFL that I have that I feel have three elite level guys. You know, Cameron Hayward, Cameron Haywood, Hayward, sorry, Stephon Tuitt, and T.J. Watt. Um, Tuitt's, I mean, he's a guy who's very underrated. He's the most underrated guy of the group. But the way he's been playing the last couple of years, he got hurt last year in week six or seven and was out for the year. But prior to that, he was dominant. And this year, I think he's kind of picked up where he left off. So, man, yeah, best defensive line in the league. And the Browns didn't have their best offensive lineman in Wyatt Teller. So I don't know. That hasn't been talked about a lot. Um, now, I think a lot of the focus for their struggles is on the quarterback, which I think is, you know, rightfully so. <clears throat> Baker hasn't been a nearly as good of a pro as uh, many people thought he would be um, and there's really no excuse anymore he has weapons he has an offensive line so uh, but yeah just strictly in terms of OLDL uh, I think not having Wyatt Teller was huge um, so it'll be awesome to see them face off again later in the year with Teller in the lineup presumably so uh, yeah I mean Conklin got exposed by TJ Watt which I expected that to happen um, said as much to a few different people, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I mean, Conklin struggles with guys who have really good get-offs and speed, who who can counter inside. I mean, he was on the ground a lot in that game. He he, he looked uh, <clears throat> like he usually does against elite level competition like that. So I think not having Teller kind of helped expose him a little bit there, but. Um, yeah, so not not really anything surprising from that game. You know, I expected that to be kind of a mismatch on that right side, and, and it turned out to be that way. I thought Callahan was going to have them in a little bit better positions than they were, but there's only so much you can do as a coach. You know, the players, you know, they, they have to win their matchups, and that right side really got got handled in that game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back because I think they've, they're certainly a top-five offensive line in the NFL, but without Teller, it's a different story. So... And he's week to week, as far as I understand. Um, so a couple more things here that I just want to talk about. The Bears' defensive line. I think they're the second-best defensive line in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, Strictly from a pass rush perspective, I think they're deep. They can keep guys fresh. They're like six or seven deep. They have two elite players in Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack. Uh, I mean, they're, they're loaded. And they can get pressure with four right now, and they're doing it. So that's really, I think, the engine of the entire team's success. I think it starts with the defensive line there. So they're a lot of fun to watch for me. Um, 
you know, the offense is, you know, up and down, clearly. I think that they can certainly improve uh, as Nick Foles gets more settled and develops more chemistry with Allen Robinson, maybe Anthony Miller as well. But, uh, you know, they have a middle of the pack or probably below average, I think, not middle of the pack, but below average offensive line. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but defensively, I think they're very, very good off uh, defensive line in the pass rush department. They're a lot of fun to watch. So, um, they've been great this year. A uh, couple of other topics here are the Chiefs and Bills game. I want to talk about that. I posted a clip of that uh, on my Twitter account where I, it's on my YouTube page. It's like a six minute video where I broke it down. I think the threat of the passing game in Kansas City is so potent that it lightens boxes. Uh, this isn't revelatory or anything. I mean, this has been happening for a couple years, but I think it was glaringly obvious in the game against the Bills. They were trying to stop the pass. They had five defensive backs, I believe, that played 85 or more percent of the snaps. Um, they had, you know, they, they were having to put in... Uh, What's his name? Uh, a couple of defensive linemen, um, Zimmer, Jordan Zimmer, I believe, and Butler uh, is another guy. I mean, Jefferson and Oliver are their starters, but uh, the, the the two backups played, I think, over forty percent of the snaps, and they got worked. Uh, you know, a lot of that game. Um, I mean, but the thing is that there was six man boxes a lot in that game, and. You know, any offensive line, when there's consistent six-man boxes, they're going to be able to run the ball. And, you know, Edwards Hilaire is a very talented back. You know, he when he has situations where he's untouched until he's five, ten yards past the line of scrimmage and he has to make one guy miss, he's going to do it. I mean, but there was many of their most successful runs in that game. He was untouched until five or ten yards down the field. I mean, it looked like a high school tape as far as the Bills' defensive line. It was ugly. So while the Chiefs' offensive line played well, I focused more of my attention on the Bills and their poor defensive play. That stood out to me more than the Chiefs' offensive line in that game. Um, so, uh, it, you know, the Bills have been surprising, you know, in a negative way this year. I thought that they were going to be one of the better teams. And, you know, certainly they started off that way, but the defense is surprisingly leaky, uh, you know, considering they're coached by, a you know, defensive heavy staff uh, in terms of their head coach is a defensive guy and so it'll be interesting to see how they adjust uh, and adapt uh, as the year goes on um, but so far pretty disappointing the last couple weeks uh, defensively there um, let's just wrap it up here with maybe one more quick topic and let's talk about the bucks and their offensive and defensive lines. Now they're them acquiring Steve McClendon from the Jets to play nose tackle and a two-eye alignment, which he's very good at, I thought was a huge move. Uh, very underrated. It's going to allow them to maintain a lot of what they like to do up front in terms of keeping their linebackers clean. Uh, you know, Levante David and Devin White who are, you know, capable of taking over a game. I mean, there's very few things I love more outside of an offensive and defensive line that are elite to watch than linebackers like them. I mean, growing up watching Ian Gold and John Mobley and DJ Williams and Al Wilson in Denver, 
um, you know, and just focusing so much of my attention growing up as a kid on them. You know, I have an affinity for really high-level linebacker play, off-ball linebackers specifically. And Levante David and Devin White, the way they're utilized in Todd Bowles' scheme is just so fun to watch. So uh, the acquisition of Steve McClendon is going to allow those guys to to have a lot of space to operate and get into pursuit and things like that. So that was a big-time signing, I think, uh, to pair with Sue and um, just their interior defensive line. Uh, so... I think they have a very good defensive line, um, better run stoppers than pass rushers, but I think they can kind of explode at any time. You know, I think JPP, Sue, Shaq Barrett, McClendon, um, and then who they have, you know, as far as depth as well, uh, you know, I think uh, makes them a top 10 defensive line in the league. Offensive line, they're a top five offensive line. Even with Donovan Smith out there being inconsistent, I mean, left guard, elite, center, elite, right tackle, elite, uh, and Kappa, I think, is an underrated guard in the NFL. I think he's above average right now and uh, with the chance to be very good. So, I mean, but worse, I, I mean, you know, at the end of the year when I do my tiers, I don't know if he'll be in the elite one, but I think he has a chance of being there. And just to say that about a rookie six games into his career is pretty rare for me to do. I don't like to, you know, boost up young guys into that elite tier unless I see it for a couple of years. But if a guy is so obviously in that category and he proves it against elite competition, then I make some exceptions. You know, I don't like to make many. The, I think the most recent exception that I've made in putting a rookie in the, the elite kind of tier for offensive or defensive line over the last two or three years, the only guy I can think of was Nick Bosa. And I think that was just, you know, just clearly, I mean, he was elite last year. I thought he might have been the best edge rusher in football uh, as a rookie last year. And I'm still kind of hurt by the fact that he's out for the season because... I just love watching him play. Um, but I think Worse has a chance to do that just because of what we've seen him do this year so far. Um, but I don't want to hype him up too much. You know, I, I want to see more of it. You know, obviously, uh, obviously, you know, Cleo Mack had one of his better games this year and beat him two, three times uh, in that game. But I still thought Worse played really well in that game. Um, you know, I mean, not not his best game, but not a bad game either. And still, we still have to remember he's a rookie, so it was a, it was an impressive game considering that. Uh, but yeah, so I uh, just wanted to touch on that offensive line a, a little bit. I mean, Ali Marpet's been my guy for three, four years now. I, I thought he's been elite for the last two or three. Uh, Ryan Jensen, I thought was elite last year. He's elite this year as well. So. Man, really fun offensive line to watch, uh, and that's that's huge for just the whole functionality of the offense. Um, and Tom Brady helps them to a certain degree. Obviously, quarterback play and offensive line play are, you know, intertwined. So having a guy like Brady back there who knows how to maneuver the pocket and get rid of the ball, uh, you know, at the right time is is big. Uh, you know, but any great offensive line, you know. I think for the most part has that, uh, you know, I think of the Saints, you know, as being one, Packers, um, but yeah, so 
uh, yeah, just to finish up on that thought, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, uh, I don't want to say that he's been a guy like Breeze and Brady. You know, he's been a guy prior to this year who held on the ball a little too long. And that's really what made their offensive line so elite because they've had to pass protect for extended periods of time. Um, you know, when they had Bulaga and Bakhtiari last year and you know, several years before that. But anyway, um, next week I will have a guest for you guys. Um, I, I have a couple that I have in mind. Uh, I'm really excited about them and having them on and talking football and giving you guys another perspective on the game. Uh, so I uh, just want to thank you for listening to this and uh, make sure you are following me on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Same for Instagram, uh, posting a lot of stuff there as well. And yeah, until next time, guys, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Thanks. <laughs>